welcome to another episode of the Edu Inc. podcast. Joining me in studio today is Headmaster Gershom Aitchison. Morning, Gavin. And Gary Sayers, who is a member of the board. And you may remember Mr. Sayers from the Matric Valediction, where he gave a heartfelt speech about the future. Gary, welcome. Thanks, Gavin. For those who missed the valediction, why don't you tell them a little bit more about uh, your background and your role on the board? I've got a financial background, um, but I also have quite a lot of time in with uh, siblings and family members in teaching posts. Uh, my wife's a teacher, so I provide a lot of independent insight to the board, usually with a financial bent. We're almost at the end of 2020, a year we'll never forget, but it's still business as usual in terms of exams and preparing for reports. Gosh, what's going on at school at the moment? In exactly two weeks today, the students will be on campus collecting the reports for the year. That's quite scary. It feels like yesterday we started Term 3, had a podcast about what Term 3 would look like and where we're going, and we've executed it. We've done it. And here we are at the end of it. It's, it's quite amazing. You can't have a conversation around 2020 without talking about what we've learned, what we're going to keep doing, what we're going to stop doing, and what we're going to start doing. What are the most notable things from Term 3 in those categories, Gersh? The biggest positive takeout for me was bringing the students back onto campus for a week at a time. It was really, really good seeing the kids and I think the kids really got to interact with their peers again and just reconnect with the school and the values and things like that. I made a point of seeing every child while we were on campus. It was really, really good seeing them. So I think that's one of the highlights for me. One of the things that is a work in progress was we created the environment and the space for the hybrid learning to happen organically. And there are a few takeouts there. There were a lot of experimentations that were happening in that space. And I think most of it worked very well. And I think we've got a great platform to kick off our hybrid project for next year. There's a lot of insight that has been gathered from the students that have experienced it and the teachers. And in my interviews with them and critically analyzing it and taking out those points, it's been interesting. And one of the things that came out which was very insightful was that hybrid learning is divided into two spaces – And the first one is the physical space, which is the technology and the classroom and the working from home, etc. But more importantly, is the behavioral space. There are certain behaviors that need to happen at the same time for hybrid to be successful. One of the most important things we've discovered this year is the realization that technology is really two things. One aspect of the technology is just the ability to communicate, and the other is how it's used for hybrid learning. Blended learning was the term that people were using initially, but that's become much clearer now. How are you dealing with these two aspects of technology? I think the first step, Gavin, was identifying that blended learning, which is a term that we used, like everybody else, initially to describe a hybrid learning space. And just for clarity again, blended learning has been around for a long time. It's doing work in a classroom using an analog and a digital process. So in other words, typing in on a document while reading out of a textbook which is a book lying on your table, or reading an, an article off your computer and then writing notes on it. That's a, that's a blended learning space. I think that it's very much a, a 21st century skill. Everybody, doesn't matter what work you're doing, has got a computer in front of them and space on their desk to write. That's blended learning. Then hybrid learning is about communication. There's one aspect of it, so the technology is for communicating And that creates the virtual presence in the classroom or allows people to connect with each other. But then the second part of it is using technology to do the work and represent the work. So hybrid learning is using technology for communication and doing the work, being in a physical space or in a digital space. 
parents must have thought, well, my child's sitting in front of a laptop, they're doing digital learning, when initially it was just really being used for communication. There wasn't actually any hybrid learning or teaching happening. It was just video conferencing, essentially. If you're sitting in front of a computer and you're watching a YouTube video, and from that you're taking notes, and then you are completing an assignment online, that is blended learning because you're taking notes on a piece of paper, but it is not hybrid learning. That is online learning because you're not engaging with another person. There is no communication happening with another person. So hybrid learning is doing all of that, but communicating with somebody or a class, like a teacher face-to-face or classmates face-to-face, so that you can bring them into the discussion and the learning process as well. There was a bit of a a mad rush up front for parents and children to get devices and connect and be online and in the classroom. Not all devices are created equal. What have you discovered or learned, and what's the philosophy now on what devices are suitable and what tech is required at home? That's a very complex question, Gavin, because it's very much part of the hybrid project that we're working on. I can't answer that question fully at the moment because part of that process is a design process we're going through with the students and the teachers, and that will complete itself at the end of this year. But what I can say is that a stable internet connection, 10 megs at least, is very, very important. Some of the biggest frustrations in this term, and when you said earlier what worked and what didn't work, what didn't work was kids who didn't have a stable internet connection. It is paramount to the success of the space. It's paramount to the the flow of the learning as well because it doesn't disrupt when teachers are going, where are you, where are you? And it doesn't disrupt for the other learners when the class is interrupted. The second thing is computers that work. Every computer needs to have 8 gigs of RAM in it. It needs to be 15.6-inch screens for the students if we can do that. And I think it should have a numpad on the side. That's ideal for me because it allows for the biggest screen possible. It allows for the most input options and things like that. Obviously, a webcam, a second screen is very, very important. And with Eskom and their problems in this country, I think a UPS is very, very important as well. But it's not just for the laptop or the computer, it's also to keep the, the internet fiber going. I also, in, in part of this discussion with the learners and the teachers, is that your desk and your working space at home, doesn't matter if you're a student or a teacher, if you're off campus, your desk and space needs to be big enough that you can have all of that on your desk, plus enough space to have a textbook and an A4 book open in front of you to facilitate the blended learning process as well. I'm going to throw a question back at Gary now. He's a father of children, the oldest of who's in grade 12, and the youngest who's in grade 2, and his wife is a teacher. Has anything that I've said resonated with you in your experience over this last six, seven months? Yeah, absolutely. We've been quite fortunate in that they had their own, or certainly the matric had his own laptop. It was more challenging for the youngest, And I think that was more down to attention span. It's much easier, I think, to hold a young child's attention when you're interacting face-to-face with another human being as opposed to when in their mind they might just feel like they're watching a video. Definitely saw that. And um, there were times, and not just in the teaching space, I mean, they go to scouts and the scout troop would try and have a Saturday morning activity online and you know he attended one or two of those and then the next Saturday he didn't want to do it it was it was just he didn't feel that it was um fun which was a very interesting conundrum yeah there was a lot of difficult moments with the technology itself classes that started late either because the technology took longer than expected to set up 
So there's a lot of preparation that had to go into it. On many occasions, when my wife was teaching, she'd have sort of 20 out of 24 children online at any point in time. And it was a huge rigmarole for her to find the missing four children, get them on the class, and it was a real learning curve. So there were some serious challenges around that. But we were quite fortunate in that we had pretty good laptops. Um, but if we hadn't had those and, and had to borrow or rely on the school to provide, it might have been more of a challenge. You've raised an interesting point about the grade two, because one of the terminologies that has come up in this time, especially in term three, has been classroom-dependent students. And I think that what we've seen Again, referring back to Gavin's question about what worked and didn't work, especially in the grade four to grade nine space, there are a few more children that are classroom dependent than there are in the grade 10, 11, and 12 space. And it refers back to what I spoke about in the hybrid place where behavior is an important part of it. Coming back to Gavin's question about the technology, I think that one of the things for the younger students that we've found is we are using Chromebooks primarily because we have the ability to control what's on those computers especially when it comes to sneaky YouTube videos and Minecraft happening in the background or roadblocks. Part of the discussion in the hybrid project is children who are classroom dependent. Is it age specific? Whatever the case might be. Is it subject specific? You know, maths and science has been quite difficult to teach online in some spaces. Our teachers done an amazing job. Those are part of the things that we're discussing. And I think, yeah, grade twos at home, I think they're a lot more classroom dependent as learners. It's just more of a challenge to hold his attention for the duration of the class. Yeah. One of the things that's been on my mind is whether what we've experienced in 2020 is going to continue in 2021 or just inform what happens in 2021. It was an unusual situation. We were forced to be locked down. We were all there. Parents were dealing with their own issues with work, working from home, learning new ways, while being parents and teachers and having to help their children through the transition. In 2021, it's reasonable to expect that many parents will start going back to their places of work more often. Where does this leave the children? In the 80s, we experienced latchkey kids, where children came home from school to empty houses to do their homework alone. Is 2021 the year when children stay home alone all the time while parents are out at work? That's a very big question, Gavin, and I think it's something from a social aspect that we need to explore and understand. Certainly, 2021 is, even if it is a rinse and repeat of 2020 in terms of COVID, lockdown, etc., because we know what it looks and feels like at this point, our reactions, the way that we deal with it is going to be very, very different. Our philosophy at EduInc and what we discussed with the board is that we are preparing for it to be a rocky road like it was in 2020. And our plan is to make sure that we are ready for that. And if the high road happens that it's not, then we're just going to benefit from that space. Regardless of COVID or not in 2021 and moving forward, there is going to be a time and a space where the learners, once every two weeks or so, are going to be at home for the day doing digital studying, doing learning from home. And I just want to take this moment just to also just clarify once more the concept that you're talking about, and that is no one at EduInc at this point has done learning online this year. So if a student is saying, mom, I want to do online learning, or parents saying, I want to put my child into online learning, you haven't experienced that yet. What you've experienced is learning from home. Online learning is differentiated from schooling at home, which we see as a hybrid solution, because online learning has very little 
high contact and rich interactions. It is very much student-driven and not driven by the teacher. The teacher doesn't have much role in that space. Whereas in the hybrid situation, which EduInc has been doing, this whole lockdown, our students have had face-to-face teaching. There's been high contact. There's been very rich interactions. And I think that's the difference. So if you're thinking, I'm going to do online learning or carry on with online learning, you haven't had that experience yet. It is very different from what EduInc offered this year. Primarily, that's because the parents have been attentive and been around all the time, and that's likely to change in 2021. Yeah. I think this is where the behavioral part of the hybrid project comes into play. There needs to be an understanding of self. The parents need to understand the students, as the school does, to know who is classroom dependent and who isn't. If a child is classroom dependent, it may be that when we have our tech day, that they are having the tech day at school, while other people whose behavior supports it are at home with the parents at work, etc. My understanding is that the how has changed, not the why at EduInc. How does this inform the hybrid project that you've got planned for next year? Creating a hybrid learning space, and that's what a hybrid project is about, and I use the term project because it's an extension of what EduInc already has technologically, what we've experimented with in the last seven months and what has worked and not worked. We've been very intentional about what this is going to look and feel like next year so that the learning experience for the people in the physical space and in the digital space is going to be the same, or as close to being the same as possible. It doesn't matter if you're sitting at home, being a teacher or a student, or in the physical classroom. If you are in Nigeria or Kenya because your family's on a business trip for three months, that you're not going to miss any of the learning experience happening in the classroom. What is important to us in this process is that we're not just doing technology for technology's sake, And I talk about the learning process, which is embedded with the values of the school. It's embedded with the development of the student, the IQ, EQ, and AQ of the student and EduInc's values. And more importantly, how we are actually teaching. The delivery of the content, the engagement with that content, the critical thinking in that space is not going to change because of technology. We're just going to be doing it differently. And I think that speaks to your how. Why we are doing this hybrid project is so that we are not compromising our learning and the learning of our students because of technology or distance, etc. A phrase we hear often is that school is getting my child ready for the future. That sounds a little vague to me. In fact, it sounds very vague to me. In tangible terms, in the stuff you are doing, what does that really mean? Gavin, our curriculum is contextualized around the values and the learning outcomes. And fundamentally, we learn to do the work by doing the work. It's very difficult to say, I'm preparing a child for the 21st century in terms of these skills when we're living in a space that is changing so rapidly. And I think to nail down a specific skill set, like you must be able to use Excel spreadsheet, for example, is very short-sighted because Excel might not exist in the future we have to chunk up a little bit and say we are going to use technology to do work and communicate. Within that behavioral space, while we are doing it online and remotely, we still need to have meaningful connections with people. We still need to engage with them meaningfully. And we still need to be able to deliver on content meaningfully. In preparing the students for the future, Edwin's view is a child must be able to do the work. We have created a space where children are doing things that they may be doing in the future. 
building raspberry pies, coding, working on robotics, using technology meaningfully to learn, to experiment, to find out about themselves. But at the same time, thinking critically, asking the right questions, and engaging meaningfully with their teachers, with their peers, and with their society. The same thing can be said about the curriculum and how we've contextualized that curriculum around the values of the school and the learning outcomes. Being a private school has allowed us to tweak what we want to do in that curriculum to meet those values and outcomes. So changes that we've made and tweaked in the curriculum to offer that 21st century child experience and preparation by doing the work, by actually engaging in the work, has continued in this space. One of the things Edging prides itself on is that the fees parents see is the fees parents pay. Surely with all the additional costs this year, the cost of PPE, the upgrades to the network, the additional computers, Gary, how did the school cover those costs without passing them on? The school has a very robust planning process that we go through annually. Fortunately, there were certain savings incurred that also resulted from COVID. So printing costs were down, outings that had been planned did not take place, and we were able to divert those funds to technology, Wi-Fi, and hardware that were needed. To the best of my knowledge, every other private school sent parents bills for PPE, additional teacher equipment for training. Gersh, how did you deal with these things? We managed to divert funds from line items that were not being used or being underutilized. We also have a capital element within that space that we would have used for painting lines on the multi-court, for example, or upgrading classrooms or something like that, that we diverted away from the physical campus, which was not being used. But COVID cost Eduink 154,538 rand this year. And I'm being very specific so that the students listening to this and the parents listening to this can understand exactly what we were dealing with. We diverted 99,923 rand from printing, paper, outings, school photos, etc. And we diverted 54,614 rand from our development levy and capital improvements to buy the technology. What we primarily spent the COVID money on was equipping the teachers with technology so they could effectively facilitate the face-to-face teaching that they were doing. PPE and sanitization equipment to comply with the various, and I mean various, health, government, education departments. The upgrading of the school Wi-Fi, we found that when the students did come back and all the devices were connected, that it was not working optimally and there was a lot of frustration around that. And there were other COVID-related activities such as driving around delivering lab equipment to students and EGD equipment and technology to teachers and all of that kind of support. We are proud that we've stuck to our guns in not passing those costs on to the parents. I think that it has helped alleviate some of the the stress financially this year that some parents might have felt, and we'll continue to do that. That's what our plan is. So you didn't pass them on this year, or are you planning to pass them on next year? (laughs) PPE is going to be a new line item, and yes, it needs to be budgeted for. And based on what we're seeing here, I don't think that we need to be budgeting 150,000 rand for it, Next year's budget primarily revolves around a line item of about 50,000 rand for PPE and between 150 and 200,000 rand for the hybrid project and the technology that the school needs to put in place to make sure that the teaching, the face-to-face engagement in that space is happening effectively. Edging's been going for eight years. We're entering our ninth year. So a lot of the newer families might not be aware that we've embarked on a three-year plan 
to align pricing with the rest of the market. Most importantly, to align teacher salaries. It's very important to us that we have quality teachers in order to be able to deliver the product that we speak about so passionately. So uh, next year is the third year in that plan. We did have a conversation about whether COVID crisis should interrupt that plan or in some way change it. And at the end of the day, we've stuck to our guns. We believe that it's appropriate for next year and we can continue to provide the value that we promise. Alignment of salaries sounds like a euphemism for above market related fee increases. Some schools have put forward that they're not going to increase fees next year. Some schools have put forward that they're increasing fees massively. Some schools have kept their fees under control but are passing on all the additional costs in extra invoices which make it look like the fees didn't increase but in reality they increased substantially. What do you mean by salary alignment and what increase are we really talking about for fees for 2021? Our biggest expense is teacher salaries. I think it accounts for almost two-thirds of the expenses every year and what we have to budget for. It's not just paying a salary. It's about the massive investment that Eduing puts into teacher training, upskilling our teachers, and making sure that they are delivering as they should. It's a double-edged sword because while we get great delivery of service from our teachers and great engagement from them and great investment from them, they are also highly sought after by other schools. As the leadership of Eduink and in conjunction with the board, there's a lot of discussion around the retention of teachers and maintaining the skill sets that we've developed over time. One of the things that happens annually, which is a great benchmark, is that we take part in the SASA salary surveys. We understand what the going rates are for teachers in other private schools. So alignment of our salaries is not overpaying the teachers, it is giving them a competitive salary, A, so that they are content and happy in the workspace, B, so they may be more reluctant to be looking at what's happening on the other side of the fence, and C, that they are suitably remunerated for the excellent work they do. Eduink is based on an entrepreneurial model. Teachers don't just get bonuses and 13th checks for the sake of getting a 13th check. There is a rigorous termly appraisal process that they go through for their bonuses as well as their salary increases. We budget 6.5% salary increases at Eduink for the teachers because of the support of the parents this year in paying their school fees and keeping the school going. We have maintained that 6.5%. The 13th checks look like they are on par and that the money is available for the teachers to be paid that. They will go through the appraisal process so that we know what percentage of that 13th check they're going to get. I can tell you right now that the teachers have done an absolutely amazing job this year and I think that the students and the results that we are seeing through this process is going to be testament to that. So that's what I mean by aligning the teacher salaries. It's about paying them what they deserve for the efforts they put in and making sure that we retain our good staff and the enthusiasm of the teachers as well. You can't have a conversation about teachers without uh, referring to some of the additional challenges that they were faced with in 2020. So if I take my board hat off and I put my husband of a teacher hat on, you know, I witnessed almost unfair challenges being laid before the teacher's doorsteps during this year. And what I'm talking about, for example, is uh, because of social distancing in classes and only being able to fit a certain number of pupils into a class at a time, 
the same lesson had to be provided more often, which wasn't the case when everyone was going to school. So that doubled up on the time spent delivering lessons um, and also took time away from preparation and marking and all the other administration that teachers have to take care of. And then number two, there was almost this unrealistic expectation that they immediately become tech gurus and experts on Google Classroom or whatever platform it may be. Um, And the expectation from schools and parents alike was that, you know, they must be the expert and they must answer all sorts of questions unrelated to the curriculum that they were actually responsible to be teaching. So I do think that should be taken into account whenever you start talking about teacher salaries. And I'm not sure it's a highly visible topic out there. In an environment of salary cuts, retrenchments around the world, for Inc. it's pretty much business as usual when it comes to the teachers. The vast majority of them start the year in January, are doing training and are part of the hybrid project. Only two teachers are moving on to new adventures, and you've secured two amazing teachers to join the school next year. And this is all covered in the budget for 2021. Absolutely, Gavin. Because we're at the tail end of a three-year strategic plan in terms of the teacher's salaries and alignment, the new teachers slotting in are not drawing a lot of resources that we haven't budgeted for already. In terms of the teacher's salaries this year, the budget is for a 6.5% increase. Yes, inflation is down deliberately in this space, but the consumer price index is up. It's the highest it's ever been. The indications are that by the end of 2021, it's going to be at 120. So I think 6.5% is realistic in terms of allowing the teachers to have the same lifestyle that they have right now to keep up with the cost of goods and services. It's also relevant to point out that Inc. is not alone in how it was impacted by COVID. Businesses globally fell into one of three categories. They were either harmed in the way that hospitality and tourism was harmed, or the majority of businesses were probably disrupted. Um, And then there were a number of businesses that were beneficiaries. For example, Zoom. From an edging perspective, we probably fell into the disrupted category with maybe a little bit of beneficiary involved because of how the, the schools already set up to embrace technology. That meant that we were able to continue with our planned budget and that we didn't have to take two drastic steps in order to be able to cope with the new challenges that were thrown up by COVID. And I think that's a testament to long-term nature of how we plan and how you have set the school out. The values that you've set out are not reactive short-term, and they always have long-term success of the peoples at heart. That's why there was this element of benefiting almost from COVID. It was certainly not to the extent of the technology companies that I mentioned you know, as, as examples, but I do think you can pat yourselves on the back for having set the school up the way you did. What is the fee increase for 2021? Gavin, the plan was always not to have double-digit increases in any given year. We maintained a single-digit percentage increase. The average across the grades is 9%. One of the contributing factors to it not being double digits is curriculum fee increase for 2021 is marginal. In some cases, it's negative for some grades because of us not being at school and there being a little reserve in that space. So it helped us keep the the curriculum fee down. So 9% increase, 6.5% increase for teachers. 
Where's the 2.5%? Every 90,000 rand I need in the budget is 1% increase. In order for us to execute the hybrid project, as well as budget for the PPE next year, that is between 200 and 250,000 rand. That's where the extra 2.5% is coming from. And you're maintaining the philosophy of the fee you see is the fee you pay. No additional invoices, no bills for PPE, no here's an instruction, go and buy another laptop. 100%. As the frustration levels in learners grow, I think there may be purchases of a laptop at home or something like that. We're not going to be passing on any additional costs to the parents. Technology will be available at school for the students. And that if they are coming to school, they don't need to bring their technology to school. In fact, I don't want them to bring their technology to school. One of the biggest disruptions that we had in the term three was the cell phones at school. And we've always known that that's why Eduings had a no cell phone policy. From January, it's going to be no cell phones again. Leave your technology at home. We will have it, except if you've got a concession, as some of the learners have, that to use technology in that space. Many schools are saying low increases or no increases for 2021, Gush. That's interesting. It might be part of a marketing ploy. I think that ultimately the parents are going to be paying additional fees. It may be hidden in support invoices or extra levies or something like that. Being realistic, I don't think any company cannot keep up with the cost of services and goods. Although we might be entering our ninth year, Edu Inc. is still a relatively young business and we do not have the benefit of a sizable kitty or endowment that's been built up over a number of generations, which maybe some other schools who Edu Inc. is now competing with do have the benefit of. And that's why we are running the budget on an annual going concern basis. We need to cover everything every year, but we don't want to have anomalous double-digit increases in any year. I think that's also a factor to take into account if you do look at the whole market. Thank you for your time. Gary, any last thoughts? From myself and certainly the board's perspective, um, looking back over 2020, I would like to say a heartfelt thanks to all the parents and a massive congratulations to all the staff and to the students for handling the challenges that came our way so adeptly. It was a real case study in crisis management and to have come through in such a positive and encouraging way, uh, not losing any hours of teaching for the whole period is just a phenomenal achievement. It's testimony to the spirit within the school and within all the stakeholders at the school and it was just really, really impressive. So well done to everyone and thanks very much to all the parents for their support in 2020. At the end of a watershed year, I think it's incumbent on me to ask you, Gersh, for a profound summation. I think a lot has happened in a very short space of time and often we felt that we were reactive while trying to be proactive at the same time. But I think it's easy to make the right decisions when the framework and the values that you're operating from are in place. And primarily it's about the best interests of the children. That is very much part of the soul and spirit of the school. And I think it's what's got us out of bed when it's really been tough at our stations doing what we need to do and that we're on point. We have an amazing team at Eduink and the spirit of the school is not just in the leadership. The parents and the students and the teachers are all custodians of that value and they're the custodians of that spirit. And I don't think the spirit happens in a vacuum. 
I also have to say from the leadership of the school that we operated as a team. Not just the teaching team. The team consists of the parents, the students, the teachers, the leadership and the board. And I think that everybody played their part well. Yes, sometimes the ball was fumbled, etc. But that's what a team's there for. You make a mistake, someone picks it up and goes and we learn from it. And going into 2021, I'm excited. I'm excited to be going into this new year with the team that we have. I'm very proud of the team that we have. And I really, really look forward to seeing the exciting stuff that we can do next year. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.